You are Locked On Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings, 12. This is Corbin Smith, your host for Locked On Seahawks. Happy Blue Friday to all of our listeners. Happy to be joined by my sidekick, Nick Lee. We've got a big game coming up on Sunday between the Seahawks and the surging Giants. We're going to be devising a game plan for a Seahawks victory, plus taking a close look at some key numbers from the Seahawks over the past month going into this Week 13 matchup. This football season will be different, and Pepsi is here to get you ready for game day, no matter how you watch this season. Pepsi is a refreshment you need to power through game day and become a member of the League of Football Watchers. These passionate fans are the real generational talent that Pepsi fuels. Because Pepsi isn't made for those who play the game, it's made for those who watch it. Pepsi, made for football watching. Now for your lead story here on Locked on Seahawks. It's been a bizarre saga, but it's finally come to a close. Josh Gordon finally being reinstated by the NFL on Thursday He will be set to rejoin the Seahawks later this month. Nick, this has been something that fans have been pressing us about for weeks and months, wondering when the NFL would finally allow Josh Gordon to return. Now we finally have that end game in place that he can hopefully be back by week 16. As originally reported by Jay Glazer, Gordon will begin COVID testing tomorrow and and that could be involved with some team meetings, and, and he can be involved in some team meetings and individual workouts starting December 9th. Then he'll be eligible to return to practice on December 21st. So in the COVID world, it's not going to be quite as quick as we'd hope, which will make this a one-year suspension, which is absolutely asinine, especially when you think about Antonio Brown suiting up for the Bucks right now. And, and let me just, once again, I'm going to bang this drum long and hard. Josh Gordon and Antonio Brown are not the same. There is, a, there is a difference, the size of the Mount Rainier, uh, Mount Rainier crevasse between fighting through depression and losing a family member and an addiction to a substance like Gordon has and being a complete locker room cancer, utter diva, and alleged, alleged sexual assailant like Antonio Brown. There's zero evidence of Gordon being a bad teammate. In fact, the opposite is true. It seems they really love Gordon and, and it's a mutual respect and everyone was happy to have him back and this is the ninth time Gordon has been reinstated in the NFL. So he's had tons of chances, obviously, but he's dealing again with some very challenging circumstances last year. And clearly the Seahawks have a very high opinion of him. And if he can get back for week 16, I believe it's against the Rams. Boy, that is the game. I mean, I, all the playoff scenarios have been running through all the like, you know, playoff machine and all that stuff. That is this year's week 17 49ers game last year. If you need help for any game this year, that is the game because even if the Seahawks haven't continued to have this game lead on the Rams in the division, all the Rams have to do is win, and they have the tiebreaker in the division, and they win the division. So really, that game right there, circle that one on the calendar if the Seahawks take care of business. The Rams game at the end, week 16, is the one that you'd love to have Josh Gordon be a part of because if there's any way that they can give the Rams more of a headache, especially when they have the ball, that's, a, that's good news, and Gordon can certainly do that. And I think there's a couple other reasons why getting Josh Gordon potentially is going to be a big deal at the end of the season. For one, I've been hounding on this this week. Tyler Lockett and David Moore 
do not look healthy to me. Now, maybe they've just got minor injuries and maybe this next weekend they'll look better. But I didn't feel like they were moving very well against the Eagles on Monday night, particularly Lockett. And we'll get to this later in the show. It has been a struggle for him for the last five games. He's really only had one game where he was playing up to what we're used to seeing from Tyler Lockett. And so I think getting Josh Gordon back into the fold for a depth purpose is going to be a big deal. And I also think when you consider the third down issues that this football team has had, this is a player that's going to bring a six foot three, 225 pound body. He's not built like DK Metcalf, but he's not much smaller. I mean, this is a big receiver that's got soft, strong hands, and he can catch in heavy traffic. He did it a couple times for key first downs in the five games he played in for the Seahawks last year. Russell Wilson was already showing a lot of trust in him in those third down situations. They could use a receiver that can come through in the clutch like that, that can be a compliment to the other receivers that the already have. So do I think he's going to come in and light the world on fire? No, this is not an ideal situation for any player coming back this late in the season. And he's only going to have a few practices to get under his belt. But like Brian Schottenheimer said yesterday, he has also been with this team. He knows the playbook. He's worked with Russell Wilson. So if anybody's going to have a faster opportunity to get going in this type of a situation, it is Josh Gordon. Yeah, dude's just an athlete. I mean, just look back to last year, the last play of his his 2019 season in Week 15 against the Carolina Panthers, that 58-yard bomb that he one of the better catches of the entire season for any Seahawks receiver. I mean, the the athleticism is there. You mentioned the first downs. Um, he he had seven catches and very limited action last year. Six of those went for first downs. Let me repeat that. Six of his seven catches last year. We're for first downs. <laughs> so he, he knows how to get open. He knows how to make critical catches. And he seems to have a rapport, as you mentioned, with Russell Wilson. And the offense has struggled to sustain drives lately. And this would be a nice shot in the arm. And, and if anything, it'll just be another thing the defense has to account for. And especially when you have a receiver room like DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett, if he's right, and David Moore. And, and then you throw in the tight ends. I mean, this could, that, that's a headache for any defense and really – um, you're, you're certainly going to need him for that Rams game and, and definitely down the stretch if he can stay on the field for the playoffs. And I think the other thing that's worth watching here, because he's basically going to get a three-game minimum audition here, he's playing for a job in 2021. This is an opportunity for him to show he's reliable. And obviously that far in the future, giving his, given his history, that's something to consider. But the Seahawks are hopeful that this time around, things are going to be different. He really loves being here. There's a reason he stayed in the Pacific Northwest throughout his suspension. If he's able to curb some of these issues that have haunted him throughout his career, and he's able to give them good contributions here, he stays out of trouble. I think the Seahawks would have loved to bring him back. He's going to be affordable. Not like he's played a lot of football games to make himself worthy of getting a big contract. They can bring him back for near veterans minimum next season, and he's only going to be 30 years old. Still a lot of potential football, especially with all the games that he's missed in his career. He's fresh, and this is, a, like you said, a freakish athlete that's got a lot of incredible physical skills as a receiver. And so, again, this is an audition for him. He's got a chance to play into a roster spot in 2021. You could realistically have Metcalf, Lockett, and Josh Gordon maybe is your top three guys. Maybe David Moore comes back. They have a couple other young receivers that they like. And so this is definitely a big opportunity for him, and it's a chance for the Seahawks to get another shot in the arm with an already 
very good receiving core. Coming up next in the second quarter, we got a big game coming up on Sunday. The Giants have won three straight, and they're coming to Lumen Field to battle against the Seahawks, a matchup of division leaders. We're going to devise a game plan for a Seahawks victory. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh, yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome back to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, Blue Friday edition. I'm Corbin Smith. And joining me, as always, for Friday, Nick Lee, the Seahawks and the Giants, getting ready to duke it out at Lumen Field on Sunday. It's been a few years since the last time the Seahawks played the Giants, and they started the season 1-7. and seven. They have won each of their last three games. They've won four of their past six. So this team is playing really good football heading into this game. They've climbed up to the top of the division. That's not saying much in the NFC East, but certainly they have rebounded from what was one of the worst starts in the league this year. And they've positioned themselves to make a run at that division title. This might be the team that can get to seven wins or so and be near 500, which would be an accomplishment given where the division's at right now. But let's talk game plan here because I think you and I can both agree, at least on one side of the ball, the Seahawks have a chance to be challenged on Sunday. This is a Giants defense that has played great football the last six weeks. Now, granted, if you look at the quarterbacks they've played against, they've gone against Kyle Allen, Carson Wentz. Tom Brady was the class of this group. They had a second matchup against Wentz. They played against Alex Smith, and that was one of his first games that he was getting thrown back in the lineup, given everything he's gone through, making that miraculous comeback. And then last week, Brandon Allen was replacing Joe Burrow, who's out for the season, for the Bengals. So they have not played good football teams. They haven't played top-of-the-line quarterbacks, but they have held opponents to 22 or less points in five of the last six games, and they held the Buccaneers to 25, had a chance to win that game and just weren't able to get it done. So they have been playing much better football for Joe Judge and company. Yeah, I feel like we need to go into the classroom with Bart Simpson and write on the chalkboard, there's no such thing as an easy win in the NFL. There's no such thing as an easy win in the NFL. <laughs> I mean, and if anyone should know, how, know that they need to respect the 2020 Giants, it's Seahawks fans. I mean, do we not remember 2010 <laughs> when the, the Seahawks limped into the playoffs and then won the division with a losing record and, oh, yeah, punched the Saints in the mouth of defending champs and won a playoff game? I mean, let, let's, let's hold the horses here. And, yes, the defense is pretty respectable. And it's a two-sided coin. Yeah, they, they've struggled um, against really good competition typically, but they've won three in a row, like you mentioned, and their two losses in the last five games have come by a total of three points. So they, a couple of things break their way. They could be win, they could be on like a six-game winning streak here. So we got to be watching out for the New York football giants here. But on defense, um, the thing that sticks out to me really is, is, the, is the eighth, their eighth in pressure percentage. This is an interesting one, Corbin, actually. Their eighth in pressure percentage, but 31st in pass rush win rate. So there's some disparities here with the pass rushing numbers. Leonard Williams is a problem. 
on the defensive line. 19 quarterback hits, seventh in the NFL, 19th in pressures. So in the interior, and, and it's really good that the Seahawks, the Seahawks are getting healthy, um, at least on, on a center position with Ethan Post, because they're going to need all the help they can get against probably their best interior defender at this point. The Giants are loaded along the defensive line, especially with Leonard Williams, who you can play a defensive tackle. You can slide him out, play like that base defensive end role like we've seen the Seahawks do with some of their bigger body defensive ends. He's a stud. He actually came in this year a little bit lighter and a little leaner, and you could see the difference, especially as a pass rusher. And It is interesting that you mentioned the discrepancy between the pressure rate and the pass rush win rate. Me personally – I take more out of the pass rush win rate. I think that is a, is a more accurate assessment of if a team is able to create pressure. That has not been a strength for this Giants defense necessarily. Now, Leonard Williams has done a really nice job, and he's a player I think the Seahawks are going to have to consider getting two guys blocking on him much of the time. He's that much of a problem. They have some other really good players there in the middle, like Dexter Lawrence is a big, big dude that's really athletic for his size, and he can be a problem. They have a lot of good talent in the interior defensive line, but on the outside, their edge rushers, that's a weakness for this defense. They've been able to produce some pressure. They've been able to mix in some blitzes. Their defensive coordinator does a fantastic job. Patrick Graham's his name, by the way does a fantastic job of mixing up coverages and they do a good job disguising pre-snap. They confuse quarterbacks. So they do a lot of things to allow them to be successful, but they don't necessarily have that bona fide edge rusher that can pin his ears back and get after the quarterback. They don't have consistent edge rushing presence. They're going to generate a lot of their pressure from the interior. So that's going to be the key for the Seahawks in this game. And you and I have talked about this before. How do you slow down a pass rush like this? It's going to be really tough to run the football on these guys, but you still have to stick with it especially running up the gut because you want to wear down those guys in the middle a little bit and slow down their jump off the snap and I do think that this is a team that the Seahawks can find ways to be successful running the ball I don't think you lean on it too much they're fifth in the league in rushing yards allowed for reason and they got a lot of big dudes up there but you can slow down players like Leonard Williams a little bit if you run at him occasionally and try to slow down that initial burst when he's trying to pin his ears back and get after Russell Wilson. Yeah, the pass defense is uh, is obviously lesser of the, of the two between rushing and passing. They're 19th in passing yards allowed. Um, and another interesting one, Corbin, for me, is they're actually 7th in red zone percentage allowed. So they, they've actually been really good at forcing three instead of giving up seven in the red zone. And I think that's, that could be a telling factor in this game. We saw with the Eagles, the Seahawks are a couple red zone executions away from that being a complete blowout embarrassment in Philadelphia um, as a win. So in this game, I could see a similar scenario, a frustrating one where the, the Giants are, are, are handling the Seahawks once the, short, the field starts shrinking inside the 20-yard line. So they have to be on their game because the Giants, again, yes, they're 4-7. They're and seven, But the, one of their strengths, I think, is, is playing defense, the bending and not breaking defense. And that could be frustrating, especially we've seen <laughs> backup quarterbacks for whatever reason, have decent games against the Seahawks, <clears throat> Matt Schaub. So, you know, we, we, we got to take it. We, the Seahawks need to, to be aware and take advantage of opportunities when they reach the 20-yard line. Um, yeah, so the, the Giants on defense really is you stop Leonard Williams, you stop that pass rush, and Russell Wilson obviously is going to get his. This is certainly a game, especially when you have a guy like D.K. Metcalf. And this is maybe a game where Tyler Lockett can get right if he's healthy. But D.K. Metcalf is a game changer. There is nobody 
nobody on the Giants defense that scares me. And I'm like, oh, no, you know, he's not he's not Jalen Ramsey. He's not even Darius Slay. <laughs> um, there's nobody on that defense really that, that can, I feel like, can match up well with DK Metcalf. I think if the Seahawks can contain those interior rushers like Leonard Williams and prevent him from collapsing the pocket too much, and Russell Wilson's got the time that he can get the ball downfield, I agree with you on the corners. And, and they've got some good safeties, but I think that the Giants can be very vulnerable on the outside. James Bradbury's had a good season, but DK Metcalf torched him last year in Carolina. I don't think DK Metcalf is the least bit concerned about having him across from him. Tyler Lockett has had some good games in the past against the Giants, obviously different coaching staffs, a lot of different players, but this seems like a matchup. They can get that vertical game going a little bit. They may be able to get some passes downfield. The question's going to be, are you going to be able to have the time to do it? And so that's, mainly going to fall on the interior offensive line because they're the ones that are tasked with trying to deal with Williams and Lawrence and some of the other really good interior defensive linemen that the Giants have. That is the strength of their defense. They have some really good linebackers too, like Blake Martinez. And I think the last thing I'll, I'll say here right now, this is a game where you cannot give up turnovers. It's a team that's sixth in the NFL in takeaways, and that's one of the reasons their defense has been so good. You cannot hand the football over to them because how do you let a team that's inferior stay in the game and cough it up and uh, allow them to get an interception or recover a fumble? If you do that a couple times, that can dramatically increase your chances of slipping up in a game that I respect the Giants, but I feel like the Seahawks should be able to win. So naturally, the Seahawks will win on a last-second field goal because that's how they operate. <laughs> uh, we, we've all seen, we've all done the song and dance before, but I, yeah, I completely agree. I think the the Seahawks really need to be on their A game. This is obviously any given Sunday. Um, the turnovers is, is certainly something that's concerning. They, Logan Ryan has three forced fumbles. James Bradbury has three interceptions. So that's coming from a little bit of everywhere. That The back end of the secondary, Jabril Peppers is a really good athlete. If there is anyone on the defense that can hang with DK Metcalf athletically, it might be Jabril Peppers. Um, but yeah, so on the defensive side, you got to get points. You got to turn, you got to get seven instead of three. Absolutely. And don't go for it on fourth and two and get stuff on a jet sweep. <laughs> let's, let's, if we're going to go for it, let's be aggressive and go north to south, shall we? Yeah, I don't disagree with you on that. Schottenheimer was saying yesterday that he wished he could have had the one play call back when they were at the goal line and they tried to run it with David Moore. That definitely did not work. It put DK Metcalf in a tough spot trying to block Derek Barnett too. As big as Metcalf at, as big as he is, that's a tough matchup. If you look at the Seahawks defensively going to this game, they've been red hot. They're playing really good football the last couple of games and you're probably not going to have to deal with Daniel Jones. And there's been a lot of talk about this this week. Pete Carroll, Brian Schottenheimer and all those guys uh, P. Carroll and Ken Norton, actually. I don't think Schottenheimer cares about the Giants' offense. But without having Daniel Jones in there, he is an explosive athlete, way more than I think people realize when he was coming out of Duke. And he has the ability to bust big runs off of read options. Colt McCoy is not a bad athlete, but he's getting to be a little older quarterback. He's never been blazing as far as speed is concerned. I think it does take away some of that uh, designed run game they have for their quarterback that they normally run. So I think that helps the Seahawks some. And even if Carlos Dunlap can't play in this game, they're still hoping he's going to be able to play. That right now is kind of a wait-and-see proposition. This is the 31st-ranked pass-block win rate team in the NFL. Their two tackles have really struggled this year. I feel like this is a game where 
the Seahawks shouldn't have to be too reliant on the blitz to be able to get pressure. They weren't against the Eagles. They mixed in their blitzes, but a lot of good four-man rushes. I think this is another offensive line that the Seahawks should be able to do that against. More guys dropping back in coverage. You're going against a backup quarterback. There's a chance they could be missing a key receiver or two. Right now, Sterling Shepard and Darius Slayton are banged up and they're limited to practice. There are some elements at play here for the Seahawks to be able to generate pressure, make this team one-dimensional, and force some turnovers in this football game. This honestly is looking a lot on paper like this, like the Eagles game. Obviously, there's a couple of differences. One, that this game is being played in Seattle. Um, and But I, I just think with – and I, there's one that has a, quote, starting quarterback, and there's one that doesn't. But as far as the offensive line play, like you mentioned, this is a game where you certainly can get home with four or five. You don't need to bring the blitz. You don't need to expose the pass defense any more than you can. This is another game where Jamal Adams can feast. Uh, I had a tweet that kind of blew up this week with how much uh, Jamal Adams has more sacks than a heavy list of Pro Bowl pass rushers along the NFL. And I think this is yet another game where he can, he can cause some havoc. A, a New York team as, as a, his former stomping grounds. So uh, I think this is yeah a game where I'm not sure you need Carlos Dunlap to get that done. I, I I tweeted this this morning. I think that this is maybe a game where you hold him out even if there's even you're pretty sure he's healthy because you're going to need him against a tougher team like maybe the Washington Football Team or certainly against the Rams a couple weeks after that. But yeah, 31st and one run block win rate, 28th in yards per play, 19th in giveaways. So they will give away the ball. So their turnover margin is a little wonky because. They do take the, way, take away the ball a lot, but they also give it back a lot, especially uh, Daniel Jones has, has been pretty hot and cold. And, and anytime you have a backup quarterback, you think there might be some turnovers involved with some bad bad reads on the pass and maybe some, some strip sacks. 28th in passing offense, even with Daniel Jones, they were not explosive. He, he's not been really the, the game-changing quarterback, I think, that they drafted. And a lot of that has to do with, you know, the 31st-rated pass block win rate offensive line. And, you know, Saquon Barkley going down was a big deal too. But so, I, yeah, the, the offense, this really looks a ton like the Eagles game, honestly. And it worries me a little bit because the, the Seahawks just toyed and toyed and toyed and did not take control. But hopefully with the, this game being in Seattle and this being a backup quarterback, things can finally flip the switch where it was supposed to be in Philadelphia. Yeah, these two teams are pretty similar. I do think when the Giants are fully healthy, I have more respect for the receiving core that they have. And they also have Evan Ingram, who's a tight end, that I absolutely think you cannot let destroy you in this game because he is the kind of player that can do that. He can go off. He is one of those players that is very inconsistent. When he's playing well, he plays really, really well. But then he'll have some games where he lays eggs and he makes some boneheaded mistakes. And so – Can the Seahawks lure him into making some of those mistakes in this game? We'll see. But there's nothing about their offense that scares you. They have a couple decent running backs. They're going to try to get that run game going, especially with having Colt McCoy available. But Seattle's been so good with their run defense this year. I think you take that run game away. You don't give them anything there. And you say, Colt McCoy, you've barely played the last three years. Show us you can beat us. And I think the Seahawks should be comfortable with their corners and their safeties, the way they're playing, the way the pass rush is playing. I'm not scared at all by the Giants offense and you don't want to ever sleep on anybody, but I just, I look at the numbers. They're terrible in the red zone, terrible pass protection. They're middle of the pack running the ball. They're without their best running back. So I feel like the Seahawks, you got to go in. I think you can play some aggressive press coverage against their receivers on the outside. 
your pass rush gets home, you force the quarterback into some errant throws, some rush throws, you create some turnovers. And I think the Seahawks can have one of those games where the defense really leads the charge here. And hopefully the offense is able to figure out some ways to move the ball against a defense that I think is slightly better overall than the Eagles defense. I think they've got similar defensive lines, better in the interior overall. Fletcher Cox, probably the best player on those two teams, but I certainly think that the the Giants defense is coordinated well. I think they've got a lot of really good players on that side of the ball. It's going to come down to the Seahawks defense getting the job done as they should against an offense that's underwhelming. And then the Seahawks got to go take care of business. It'd be nice to see them break out of their funk a little bit. They've been better the last couple of weeks, but it still hasn't felt like this is the same offense, not even close to the same offense we saw the first five or six games of the season from Seattle. And that's going to lead into our third quarter here. We've got some numbers to go through on defense and offense here from the last three or four games that paint the picture about the current Seahawks, how things have been shifting on this team. They're starting to win games again, but doing it a little bit differently. So we're going to go inside the numbers as we prepare for a week 13 game between the Seahawks and the Giants. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back to the Locked On Seahawks podcast. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Joining me for Blue Friday, my co-host, Nick Lee. Got a big game coming up between the Seahawks and Giants at Lumen Field on Sunday. Seattle trying to improve their record to 9-3, and stay atop the NFC West, and still be in the hunt for the number one seed, which up to this point, Nick, knock on wood, they got the Ravens-Steelers game in. So we're hoping that they can get every game in as scheduled, and we don't have any cancellations. They don't add an extra seed. That first seed still will have a ton of value, even if you don't have fans in the stands. That bye week would be really nice. So this is a huge game. Every game from here on out is a huge one for the Seahawks. And for our third quarter here, sometimes we do bold predictions. Sometimes we play what's the odds. This week, we're going to dive into some of the numbers because this team, the Seahawks, first eight games of the year, it was all about the offense. The offense was carrying the day. We have seen a shift now here the last three games where the offense isn't having to do that because the defense has really stepped up their game. And on the offense side of the ball, it's a good thing that that's happening because the offense hasn't been near as sharp as they were early in the season. It starts at the quarterback position. O-line hasn't been near as good in recent weeks. They're getting inconsistent play from some of their receivers compared to earlier in the year. So I can't wait to dive into some of these numbers that kind of explain where we're at with this Seahawks team now, 11 games into the 2020 season. Well, first number I'm going to go to is 6.3. That is the yards per attempt per attempt allowed on defense. This is indicative of how they've improved on defense the last three games, because that is actually almost a two yard improvement over the last three games from the previous eight games of the season, the first eight, which the number was at 8.1 yards per attempt allowed on defense. So that's indicative of two things. I think Corbin, I think that's, you're starting to see a little more consistency along the the secondary guys are starting to play with each other a bit more. Jamal Adams is healthy. Um, And also with the pass rush, I think the, the biggest part of that is the pass rush has come alive and that we'll get into that as well. But, I think we can all agree that the pass rush is the pass rush and the pass defense and the yard passing yards allowed. It has a symbiotic relationship. You have a really good pass rush. You're not going to allow as many passing yards, even if your secondary is not up to snuff. So I think this is just as good of, of a, of an, or just as good of a testament to how good the pass rush has been also with just overall how improved the defense has been, how more accountable they've been. 
since that big meeting they had. So 6.3 yards per attempt, a much better number than the first eight games. Yeah, and another number that I think goes very similar, goes hand-in-hand hand with that, you're talking about yards per attempt, 240. That is the net passing yards per game the past three games. And in today's NFL, that is really respectable. If you're giving up 240 net passing yards per game, that's pretty darn good. And consider this, the first eight games of the year, the Seahawks were averaging giving up 362 net passing yards per game. So that's why they were on pace to shatter the single season record that currently is held by the 2011 Green Bay Packers. Now maybe the Seahawks, if they can keep this train rolling here for a few weeks, maybe the Seahawks won't even break that record. That's got to be the hope is that they can continue to improve here in coming weeks. And again, this goes back to the pass rush. It goes back to improved secondary play. I think the scheming has been better. Ken Norton Jr. and company figured out how to best utilize these players. And a lot of this all revolves around chemistry because they had a lot of new pieces. This is just a bizarre season. And it's not surprising we were waiting for weeks for things to just start coming together. And now here we are. This is a group that seems to be really turning the corner. And I don't think, yes, they played an Eagles offense that's inept this past game, but they did well against the Cardinals, who have one of the best offenses in the league. They were holding up well against the Rams in the second half a few weeks ago. I think this is real, and the numbers paint that picture. Another one that that's also paints that picture is 46. That's 46 yards for receivers allowed by the Seahawks defense. And, yes, again, not really impressive when you look at the Eagles, but when you talk about that, yeah, that middle game in there against the Cardinals on Thursday night when you're facing, oh, I don't know, DeAndre Hopkins, <laughs> that's, a, that's a really big, big, uh, big get there to – to get him very or to, to quiet him down. So 46 yards for receivers allowed by the Seahawks defense. I think that kind of goes hand in hand with the numbers we've been looking at. Um, pass rush certainly helps, but I think this number especially is a testament to how much improved that secondary has been. And I remember I heard Jamal Adams, I think it was after the Cardinals game talk about, and like, we just haven't had time together with, with getting Carlos Dunlap in the room and, and him coming on late so in late July and, and injuries and stuff. They just haven't had time to really, um, come together and, and be cohesive as a group. And I think finally here in the beginning of December, late November, it's starting to happen. And I think this is more, will the real Seahawks defense please stand up? I think it's, I think we're starting to see it stand up here with the, with numbers like these. Yeah. And that goes back to the sacks here, 22 of them in the last five games. When we were getting ready to go into week eight, start of November, the Seahawks were playing the 49ers. They had nine sacks their first seven games combined and to have 22 of them in the five games since they've just erupted 19 of them in the four games since Carlos Dunlap came here. Obviously he's been a big part of this. There's been a domino effect with the rest of the defensive line. They're just doing a better job as a whole getting after the quarterback. The blitzing has been hitting home a bit more. Jamal Adams has been a game record when they have sent him. They didn't send him a ton against the Eagles and that's good news because now that means they are generating some pressure Knock on wood, it was against the line, missing a bunch of starters. But still, they are getting pressure on opponents with three- and four-man rushes, which is a big deal. You can still be aggressive and sprinkle in your blitzes with some of the players they've got. They should be blitzing a, a bit more than some of the earlier Seahawks teams in the Carroll era where they didn't need to. This team has different personnel. You take advantage of that. And so all the way around, they're getting contributions. The front line's doing a nice job. Jamal Adams getting after it. Bobby Wagner's blitzing more than he ever has, and I know he's enjoying that. He's made it very clear that he tells the coaches he wants to blitz, and why not? 
great athlete at linebacker, an instinctive player that typically is going to finish when he gets back there. K.J. Wright is getting more opportunities at the sandbacker position. So there's a lot of variables here. But regardless, they are getting to the quarterback, and they've been doing it consistently now for the last five games. And the last stat I'm going to throw in on defense, I'm going to kind of lean off that. This is the number that just really jumps out to me. I've talked about it in the podcast here a couple times this week, but I just – I can't stop raving about Puna Ford. He's playing fantastic football. 13 quarterback pressures in the last four games for Puna Ford. So I think that he has quickly answered the question, is Puna Ford capable of becoming an interior pass rusher in the NFL? It is happening right in front of our eyes here the last four games. We've been waiting and waiting and waiting. We knew the athlete was there at 300 pounds. The quickness, he's got some good hand technique to use. It's all coming together now. And Ken Norton Jr. said yesterday that he still think he's got a lot of upside to unlock as a pass rusher. That is really good news for the Seahawks moving forward. Yeah, the rising tide raises all ships. And I think with the addition of Carlos Dunlap and with the, the Jamal Adams having just crazy numbers when he's on the field and healthy and the pass rush coming together and, and just the guys being able to play together as, as a unit, I think that is just – enhancing the, the play and Puna Ford is no exception. That's not to take anything away from what he's done as an individual because yeah, he has been uh, probably one of the more improved Seahawks on this entire team, uh, at least throughout this year. He's pretty quiet to begin the year, but he already has, uh, according to pro football reference, uh, four, he has four quarterback knockdowns and that's actually one more than Jaron Reed has. And, and Jaron Reed, I think he's starting to, you know, Jaron Reed certainly got off to a big start, especially with the couple seasons he had before you know, the 10 and a half sacks a couple seasons ago. But I think Puna Ford is starting to, if not clip his heels, become even maybe past Jaron Reed for development and consistency along this defensive line. And this is going to be a real treat to watch. And boy, yeah, with, with how much potential he is yet to unlock. And he's got 10 pressures on the year, two sacks. And I think we're just getting to the beginning. There's going to come a day where he's, uh, he's not going to be this uh, low draft pick or undrafted guy that is making little money. I think he's going to get paid sooner or later. Yeah, I think they're going to have to make that decision potentially this offseason. He's a restricted free agent. Do you want to just extend him now before he gets more expensive probably, or do you give him the second-round tender? There are options there. But certainly he's playing into a lot of money with how he's performing out on the field as of late. On the offensive side of the ball, I can't say that we have as exciting of numbers here because the offense is still worrying me a little bit to an extent. I do like this stat. Zero, the number of turnovers in the last two games. They are protecting the football much better than they did there for a three or four game stretch when Russell Wilson had seven interceptions. It's just so uncharacteristic of him. He hasn't thrown any picks the last two games, no fumbles. So the Seahawks have to be happy about that. They are doing a better job protecting the football and their third down rate has gone up as well. Yeah, I mean, there's they had 10 turnovers in four games after the bye week into the Rams game in the last two games, zero. And that's that's how you put away teams that are, you're better than, and that's how you beat teams that, that are pretty good in the Cardinals. So that's a really good sign. The 44% is the next number. That's third down conversion race the last three games. Still not super great, but better than it has been. So the, while the Seahawks offense might not be as explosive and effective as they've been in the, the first half of the season, the first two-thirds of the season, the the third round efficiency the third down efficiency has been a lot better which can go a long way in, in of course extending drives and and finding points so there's some weird stuff like going forward on fourth down and and getting stuffed twice and 
and all, all that stuff. But yeah, if, if you're, if you're converting better on third downs and, and getting better there, that's a really good tell of, of how efficient and, and how much you're clicking on offense. Yeah. Early in the year, they were doing a good job of avoiding third downs. They were getting a lot of first down pickups on first and second down, but there are going to be games where you can't do that. So they have to continue trying to improve there. They were two for 10 against the Eagles. So that is still an area that is concerning. They've got to find a way to put themselves in better third down situations so they can improve conversion rate there and extend more drives. They're going to need to be able to do that if they want to make a deep run in the postseason. This is stat that I think is kind of misleading. 16, that's the number of sacks allowed on Russell Wilson in the last four games. Obviously, that is not good. And obviously, the offensive line has played a role in that. They're missing some players. They've had injuries along the line. And certainly, teams have been more blitz-happy getting after Russell Wilson. But I do think some of this does fall on the quarterback, especially the Bills game. There were some plays where the Seahawks had everybody blocked that they could block. There was just more guys coming than they had pass protectors. And Russell Wilson was not doing a good job hitting his hot route. We saw improvements against the Arizona Cardinals, and he was okay in this game against the Eagles. But there were certainly some times where it felt like he was tucking and trying to run earlier than he needed to. Maybe he was hearing footsteps a little bit. So I think this is a twofold thing. The line is not playing as well as they were the first half of the season. There's been some injuries, not as much consistency not protecting as well, but Russell Wilson also deserves some of the blame because at times he held onto the ball too long, hasn't hit his hot routes. It's a twofold thing. And so those are areas that need to be cleaned up going into these last five games. Yeah, I think Russell Wilson's played a little bit too much hero ball, trying to hold on to the ball a little bit more, find guys deep, maybe getting a little greedy. And stuff like that's been, been playing to that as well. And they're third to last in the NFL total with sacks allowed at 35 so that's certainly something they definitely need to clean up especially as the games get colder and bigger and more important another one here is 27.5 which is the differential and passer rating from russell wilson from the first seven games when he was absolutely setting the universe ablaze to the last four games 93.3 very much more pedestrian still you know more respectable than, (laughs) than other quarterbacks in the nfl but certainly has not been mvp cooking five-star chef Russ in the last uh, four games, which, yeah, it does, does lead – even with in the Eagles game and the Cardinals game where he was, quote, efficient, we still haven't seen the same Russ as the start of the year. Yeah, it's kind of been – like you said, instead of being a five-star chef, he's kind of been cooking up what you expect when you go to a dive bar that has good food but isn't necessarily a five-star cuisine. He has been efficient the last couple games. He's played well, but – he has not played like a top five quarterback and the Seahawks are going to need him to get back to playing like he did early in the year. I'm not expecting him to throw four or five touchdowns every single game. That was not sustainable, but this is shown here the last three or four games that he's playing at a lower level than you would expect from him being in the prime of his career. So they got to hope these last five games that he can get the ship right a little bit. The protections better in front of him. I think having his running backs back is certainly going to help the completion rates going up the last two weeks, no turnover. So there's signs he's getting back to where he needs to be, but Russ really needs to get back to cooking the way that the Seahawks had early in the season. And I think there are some variables in play to allow that to happen, but certainly has not been playing as well the last four games. And the last one that I've got here, I talked about this briefly in the first quarter. This really jumped out to me 
if you take three games out of Tyler Lockett's season, it has been a disappointing year for him. He obviously had that incredible 200-yard game against the Cardinals. He had a three-touchdown game against the Dallas Cowboys earlier in the year. Both those games, he had three touchdowns. You take those two games out of the equation, and he had a decent first game at the beginning of the year. But you take those games out of the equation – He has had a bunch of games below 50 yards receiving that he's been relatively a non-factor in the last five games, 45.8. That's the receiving yards per game by Lockett in the last five games. He's battled some injuries in there. DK Metcalf has been stealing the show as the number one receiver, but they need more out of Tyler Lockett than this. That goes on Russell Wilson getting the ball to him. It goes on the receiver for getting open. If he's not healthy, then they got to get him healthy because I don't see how this team can truly make a run in January to a Super Bowl if you are not having Tyler Lockett playing in the top of this game because that's what makes this offense so special is when he and Metcalf are both humming. And right now, that's not how it is. It just it hasn't. He has not looked right the last few games, and the numbers indicate that. Yeah, he has five games this year where he has less than fifty yards, so that's an absolute problem for sure. And you mentioned the late run in January. If he continues to not be a factor, there's, they're going to start not – the defense there is, is going to start not respecting him and keying more on Metcalf and making Metcalf's life more difficult. I think what's really helped Metcalf – obviously he's an incredible talent on, 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 as a receiver, but what's helped him is the fact that other pieces of the offense are also getting attention like a Tyler Lockett, like their run game, like their tight ends. If all of a sudden these other things start disappearing – the defense can start keying more on DK Metcalf and offering more help and in, in covering him up. Then you have a problem, especially on, in a January playoff game. So he definitely needs to get right, whether that's shutting him down for a couple games, to, if he's not healthy, that, I mean, that's, this is the time to do that for sure. If there's a softer spot in the schedule to do that it is right now. Um, but yeah, it's certainly a problem because yeah, besides those, he's had, he has three games all year above 70 yards which is very un-Tylockett-like. Un, un yeah, his overall numbers are obviously fine, but it's been one of those strange seasons where a lot of the production has come in three games, and there's just been a lot of games where he has been silenced. And obviously teams still respect him. I don't really think that's going to be an issue. Although if teams are like, look, he doesn't look good on film, he's not right, then it does give you more flexibility to be able to say, okay, we're going to start bracketing DK Metcalf a bit. And so that is something to consider moving forward. We'll see. We'll see how he looks this weekend. Maybe he gets right. He did have that awkward fall in the game against the Cardinals. He was already dealing with a knee sprain. So there's been some things going on health-wise with him. And he wasn't listed as being out on their injury report. So I think that they're probably thinking he's going to be okay. But they need more production out of him. And that's not saying Russell Wilson needs to force the ball to win. But they need Tyler Lockett to be Tyler Lockett for this offense to get back to where it was early in the season. And if they can do that, then this truly is a contender for the Lombardi Trophy once we get to the postseason. Make sure to follow me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Nick at NickLee51. Subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, whatever your preferred podcast platform is by visiting our website, LockedOnSeahawks.com. When we return on Monday, Rob Rang and I will be breaking down everything that happens on Sunday when the Seahawks face off against the Giants at Lumen Field. Hopefully, we'll be celebrating Victory Monday, and the Seahawks will improve their record to 9-3. and three. Enjoy your weekend and enjoy the game. Go Hawks!